You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Um, I discovered Vader early on, and that was that was the game changer. To be honest with you, Vader was like, "This is what I want to fucking do." What are these guys? And then, uh, then I I saw the uh, it was like a live in Warsaw DVD that Vader put out a while ago, and seeing Peter like, and I had no idea he did the vocals and played at the same time, and I was like, "What the fuck is this?" You know, and that that set the stage for it, like everything I wanted to do. You know, it took years to develop, of course, because I was in my like teens, and now I'm 35 and just now releasing my first full-length album uh, as of this year. Hey, what's up, Vox and Hops heads? I'm Matt, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, brought to you by Sound, Talent, Media, and Evergreen Podcasts, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians, talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. I hope you had a killer month of August. Vox and Hops is now officially back. I had a great month of August. It is crucial for me to take these breaks, to have time to... Uh, rest, recuperate, and uh, not only that, I've been super busy getting ready for the upcoming Cryptopsy release. That's right, as Gamora Burns is coming out next week on September 8th. I'm also heading out on tour, the Carnival of Death tour, where Cryptopsy's out on the road in North America with Abysmal Dawn, Hate, Visceral Disgorge, Reaping Asmodea, and Warforged. Can't wait to get back on the road. If I'm playing in your town, come and hang out with me. Come drink some craft beer i'm looking forward to that so vox and hops is back and i'm very stoked about that this Fox and Hops episode is presented by Heavy Montreal. Heavy Montreal, Montreal's premier metal promoter. And trust me when I say this, if you are ever in Montreal and you are looking for a killer show to go to, well, trust me when I say that Heavy Montreal will have you covered. They put on a bunch of amazing shows all year long, and uh, they're always amazing, such as the upcoming Cryptopsy show. The final date of the Carnival of Death tour is in Montreal on October 6th at Fufon Electric, and it is presented by Heavy Montreal. I am beyond stoked to have Heavy Montreal behind the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast. Now today I'm very stoked to be shining some light on the Revassar on today's Artist Spotlight. Get ready everyone. Here is their track, Talisman. Delegates, 
Hey, what's up, everyone? Today, I'm very stoked to be with Zach Jeter of Olkoth. He's also a part of Imperium, Lecherous Nocturne. He's a busy guy. He plays bass live for Hideous Divinity, my uh, very good friends from Italy. Um, Zach, how you doing? Doing great, man. Very nice to be with you. Long overdue. We've been talking, I think, almost a year at this point about trying to get you on the podcast, and I'm glad that you were persistent and kept messaging me. Makes me happy when people do that, because sometimes uh, things slip through the cracks, and I feel bad, uh, especially when it just never materializes. But thanks to your persistence, here we are having a chat. We're going to drink a beer. This is Vox and Hops. Vox and Hops is all about hanging out with my metal friends, talking about their lives and music while drinking killer craft beers. I see a beautiful white can right there. What are we going to be sharing virtually tonight? Hell yeah. This... Um this is a local brewery called Steel Hands, uh, and this is like my hot weather IPA. It's like a tropical IPA. Nice. Super light, super drinkable for an IPA, 6.8%. Fantastic. I like that. Light at 6.8. I, I like the, the, the duality <laughs> yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, light drinker, 6.8. It goes down smooth and it fucks you up good. This is a, a yes. very cool beer. This is uh, from uh, BG Brasserie Urbaine. It was brewed as a part of the Vox and Hops Haze Wars, which took place back in May at Kanawaki Brewing. I pinned six breweries head-to-head -to, -head to make their best mono-hop IPA, uh, Yakima Chief Hops. Uh, Shout-out to Luc um, Beaulieu for hooking this up. Uh, hooked up all the breweries involved with all the hops for free. HBC 586, which is an experimental hop. Everyone had to make a mono-hop IPA. Uh, they decided to go for an oat cream IPA. They, they, they had fun. They put some lactose. It wasn't a part of the rules, but I didn't tell them not to put lactose in it. Uh, this is an oat cream IPA, 6.5% BG. Uh, I'm going to crack this, and uh, as I crack it and pour it out, I would love to hear about your very first beer. Fuck, very first beer. Dude, it was probably something absolutely hated, like the worst kind of... Uh, I can tell you probably what my very first beer... Oh, what a beautiful pour. Fantastic. No, yeah, um, my first beer, it was it, fairly young, so it's like, you know, how it goes. It's like whatever you can get your hands on at that point and it was uh there's this shit around here called milwaukee's best oh yeah we had that we had that up here in the 90s and we used to call it the milwaukee beast because it's just like it's absolutely hated and it's not a great beer but yeah, i think that was probably my first one not not the classiest, but it was an entry point. Well, well, cheers to entry points, just like uh, extreme metal. We, you know, we got to start somewhere. You got to work your way towards uh, a more acclimated palate towards beer, and uh, that's where I'm sitting right now with this uh, this BG beer. I forgot to tell you the name. It's called Guru Fatal, and the label art is done by an amazing artist um, called Rame Lassar uh, from Quebec City, from Montreal. I actually, I think. And he just makes just super cool, unique stuff for BG all the time. It's like a huge part of the identity. Cheers to you. Cheers. Super smooth, creamy, killer. Get it, people. There are probably not that many left, actually, by the time this episode comes out, but so damn good. Um, talk to me about the evolution of your craft beer palette. Obviously, now you're a craft beer enthusiast, uh, drinking your... 6.7%, uh, very smooth IPA right there, your hot weather IPA. Talk, talk to me about uh, the evolution of your craft beer palate. Uh, well, craft beer didn't come along until a lot later for me. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. It was it maybe, maybe about 10 years ago or something like that. I was introduced to some, and even then it was like a, 
it was a gradual transition. It was probably only been like the last five years that I've really been into like good craft beer because there's been you know especially around here. Um, it's been a, like kind of an explosion. It's more. crazy. Yeah. Breweries, breweries are growing. I mean, even in my hometown, it's a very small town. We've got a brewery moving in. Um, there's a really cool place uh, right down the road. Probably when it opened up was it was it's probably about that time. It was a long time ago. Um, but I still go there all the time. It's a little place called the Lancero Lounge, and it's like a cigar lounge. Uh, you know, beer, beer parlor. It's super chill, really nice place. And the, the guy, Casey, shout out to Casey if he's listening. Um, he's just, he's a beer connoisseur. He just, he knows everything there is to know about beer and he always has the best recommendations. And I think it kind of, uh, it kind of started there. Um, and gradually then, of course, you know, I took off on my own and found different tastes and, and things like that. I'm, I'm kind of, uh, I went, I went from a stage being an IPA guy, which I still enjoy. But lately, uh, just not right now, because it's real heavy. I've been uh, I've been into porters. Ooh, I, I, there's it's hot yeah. for a porter. Yeah, it is very hot for a porter. But on the right night, uh, it's I love a good porter. There's um guy I was just talking about Casey. He turned me onto this uh, this import porter. Uh, it's called the Baltic Porter. I just tried yep. it the other night. I was in a hurry. It was a phenomenal, phenomenal. It's almost not a porter. It's so good. It's very drinkable. Not as heavy as your usual porter. Absolutely. Baltic porters will tend to be around six to eight percent as opposed to like a like a huge stout that hits up in the eight to tens, let's say. Yeah, it's big, thick, syrupy stout, you know, but <laughs> I, although I do love those every now and then. But, you know, not on an afternoon like today, it was hot as fuck. Just ridiculous. It's hot. crazy. It's, it's, it's more beer people because it's getting hot as hell everywhere. More crushable beer so we can, you know, stay hydrated while still having fun. Uh, classic Fox and Hops question. Uh, the soundtrack of your youth. I would love to hear about what was playing in your parents or guardians house when you were not in control of the radio. What did your parents or guardians listen to? Well, um, early on, um, I was interested. Like I started playing guitar at like six years old. So I, yeah, seven seven was when I got my first guitar. But my dad, of course, he my dad had an old, a super nice acoustic ovation um, that I still have. It's like a nineteen eighty seven ovation guitar. It's super nice. Um, but I, I've got really early memories of playing that guitar. But my dad, um, my dad had a classic rock thing. We were always listening to the classic rock station. Um, like Led Zeppelin was huge for me growing up like hugely influential um it, it, to the point where i listen to him so much it's virtually impossible to listen to led zeppelin anymore it's it's burned into my head you know i can just close my eyes and you know listen to a led zeppelin song but uh all the classic rock stuff like boston I was a huge fan of boston um like weird out you know like electric light orchestra and stuff like that kind of like classic the uh, classic rock stuff is what where I, I guess I kind of started. I didn't really have um, a, a whole lot of metal in the household. And even then, there wasn't even a, a lot of classic rock. I actually grew up in like um, a fairly, uh, you know, like religious Christian household. So uh, there wasn't a, it, for a long time, that, I mean, I, I was introduced fairly early on to some metal, uh, like Megadeth. I remember Megadeth being an, a pretty early one. Um that just game changer, you know, like what the fuck am I listening to? And then gradually from there, um, I had, uh, like I had an aunt that had a pretty broad musical taste and, uh, she was closer to my sister, almost like a sister. And, uh, she would have like 90 stuff like stone temple pilots and, 
Alice in Chains and shit like that. And so that was kind of the gist of, uh, I guess, the childhood musical stuff. It was a weird amalgamation of, you know, praise and worship music and classic rock and Alice in Chains. <laughs> it's, it's cool that your dad was, was open enough to, to be a classic rock fan while still being very Christian. Yeah, totally. Yeah, my dad, um, I mean, although we... Uh, our viewpoints in in a lot of ways are definitely uh, a bit on the different side. I mean, my parents are amazing people. They're still super supportive um, and, you know, it, it just phenomenal family, you know, great to my kids and everything. I, I definitely, I was blessed with a really, uh, really awesome family for sure. I love that. Regardless of all the religious stuff, I still had a, enough exposure to the right kinds of music to put me on the, you know, the path that I'm on now, I guess, you know, so I can't complain. Six years old, you pick up a guitar, you start, you have all these memories at seven and eight of, of playing guitar. What would be like that first song that you mastered? The first song that I mastered, oddly enough, um, it wasn't like one of the rock songs because you know, even though I started playing guitar, uh, I mean, it's still rock, but it was more like one of the acoustic songs because I started playing on an acoustic and I played the acoustic all the way until I was like 16, 17 years old is when I got my first electric guitar. So uh, a huge part of my style is built around uh, acoustic guitar playing. I mean, even in, even in, it even kind of leaks into the death metal, like the, you know, the way I use chords and, and like sort of dissonant voicings and stuff like that. It, it all stems from that, that kind of, that kind of playing and stuff. But, um, the first song I mastered though, before I get too far off, I think was the rain song by Led Zeppelin. Um, it was, and I remember being like mind blown that I even mastered it because it was in a totally different tuning. It's in like dad, gad, Instead of like, you, you know, your E standard tuning. So I kind of figured that out and I picked out the song uh, by ear because I, I was never I took guitar lessons briefly, but they never stuck. So everything, pretty much everything I ever learned outside of stuff that I picked up from tabs or watching videos, you know, the visual aspect, you know, the old VHS like hot licks tapes yeah, from that, back yeah. in the day and stuff. Kids, the kids are spoiled. You know, that, <laughs> Yeah, totally. The, the, the kids don't know what they have these days, but um, I, I pretty much picked up everything like by ear, and I still still do everything uh, to this day, which probably caused a lot of handicaps also at the same time. But uh, it, it it created the personality of your playing, which is yeah. I you know, and I kind of I value that. I, I you know I I I prefer um I prefer being able to to just rattle things off and kind of pick up things by ear. It's a, it's a nice skill to have. I think it's one that you can still learn too. I, I, I've been a guitar teacher as well. And I've kind of found that you can, you can teach, um, you can teach inner ear training a bit. You can kind of teach to learn by ear, although it's a developed skill and not everybody can develop it. Like it can be developed, you know? Um, and I, I think it's, it's probably the best way you get it. It feels like you get the most feeling and everything out of your music when you can, I don't know, for me, just studying theory and all of the mathematical stuff, because I'm not a math guy, I never was, and theory to me always equated to math. So I was like, yeah, fuck that. I just want to pick this up and like fuck around until something cool comes out, you know, and that's the basis of my whole style. Being a guitar teacher, having young children of your own, 
learning music at such a young age yourself? Is it something that your children have been drawn to? Is it an interest that you've seen? Is it a genetic thing? Is it an exposure thing? I know that my kids are extremely interested in music. Uh, how about yourself? I Well, the oldest, uh, my stepson, he's nine. Um, and he's he's got musical talent for sure, which, I mean, it kind of runs in his family as well. But um, my, my two youngest, they are probably too young to show a real interest but they do like uh gravitate towards my guitars and like i have a three-year-old and one that'll be uh one that'll be two in um at the end of this year well, so it's fun to bang right so yeah absolutely <laughs> <laughs> and they bang on them for sure like um but i i imagine so um that because if I had to guess, I think they would be. I mean, because they, how could they not be? They're surrounded by it. I mean, their dad's an obsessive, like, music guy. It's everywhere in the house, you know. So, like, um, I can imagine they'll at least grow up with some sort of, uh, some sort of interest or some kind of something drawing them towards music. I don't know whether that'll lead them specifically, but I th- it's there, I'm sure. You know, they're still a bit young to tell right now, but. God damn it, I'm going to get that kid a little miniature Rhodes guitar as soon as he's like got the attention span to sit down with it. I can't wait. I'm so stoked. Hell yes. But, uh, How about your first show, your first live music experience? Was it a was it a Christian rock thing? Was it a, a classic rock thing? What would have been that first show that you went to go see? Yeah, no, it was never a, a Christian rock thing. That was actually, my brother played Christian rock. I never... I skipped that totally. I guess I was like the black sheep of the family that wanted nothing to do with that. Right over the creed, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) no thanks on all that. Um, But my first show, I I think it was with these guys. Um, The guy that I did the Doomsday Revival thing with, it was just covers and everything. We had a band for a little while. Um, And uh, we played some shows. And I think that that was my first live experience. It, It wasn't quite my style now it was more like because i live in the south and uh these guys you know there's a lot of southern metal around here you know that's a that's a big thing so uh a doom southern doom metal doom sludge whatever stoner southern it goes on for days but uh these guys played that kind of stuff and i was young in my early 20s and uh had the curse of never being able to find anybody to jam with so i was like yeah sure why not i'll just it's some shit to do, you know, it's an experience. I'll get out, get out, get out there, get out of my shell or whatever. And it was cool, you know, especially for the time they were great guys, fun to play with. And, uh, I think the, the show itself was at some little place in, uh, some little place in North Carolina. I can't even remember the name of the place. It was called the money or something like that. Just some, you know, kind of backwoods venue type. place. I hope you guys made the money. <laughs> Yeah, not at all. <laughs> I, figured not. I don't even think the money made the money. Like they closed down not long after that. I don't. Think. I do find it interesting that you you started playing so young, and then you finally play your first show thirteen, fourteen, fifteen years later. That must have been frustrating. Incredibly, I mean, um, like I said, I grew up in a really, really small town, um, like abysmally small. Uh, it was an old mill town southern mill town in the middle of the woods you know no scene of any sort a hands like a handful of friends that were into metal 
if you wanted to go see like a metal show, what city would you have to drive to? And there were there were a few. Um, we would go to Charlotte or uh, like Spartanburg, South Carolina, Ground Zero, the infamous Ground Zero. I still I still owe Brad Paris a hangover from a night there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I rem- uh, I think I remember that night. That was the first time I met you in person. We uh, we met at Ground Zero. It was Brad and I. Was uh, Brad Brad was bartending Belfagor. Uh, yeah, that was it. I believe that was it. it those are hazy days though, so I can't <laughs> I can't recall exact. If you came on the bus, we had a fun time. Oh, yeah, we did. It was uh, it was for sure. I definitely <laughs> left with a hangover that night. That's for sure. I interviewed you know, Brad after the next that, day, and I, I told him that I owed him a hangover. Yeah, well, I'll get him back for you maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so very small city you had to to be patient to to find like-minded musicians to practice with to jam with what were you doing in the meantime you had to sort of and i don't mean any shade towards doomsday revival you had to sort of like settle to jam with them because you were so hungry to jam what were you doing uh, honing your craft were you writing songs already before you even started any of the more extreme projects oh uh, well I, I was i was writing all the time and that band actually funny enough i'll even let it go why the fuck not since we're here whiskey held the the one band you were just talking about it was just the uh studio thing where we recorded covers the, the band that i played in was called whiskey hell child it was the, yeah right how badass is that but um yeah it was kind of like um like you said there's nothing else so it's like you have to get the experience somewhere so you've and these were super cool guys uh the the guy that invited me to play with him he was uh i met him because he was my tattoo artist he did my tattoo work and uh it's super nice and uh, i picked up a guitar in his shop he's like dude do you fucking play with anybody and then you know i was like i wish <laughs> then he invited me to come over but uh on my own, I basically would just sit and because I, I didn't have much of a social life back then. I didn't really come out of my shell and probably till my mid 20s. I was a very like kind of just to myself, like shy, kind of a nerd, you know, like out of shape the early point of my life. I didn't you know, I got into fitness eventually. But uh, but yeah, and I, I didn't get out much or anything. I had a handful of friends and I kind of just sat and if I, you know, I just listened to music and studied music. Um, and I found through doing that and through a few of my friends, uh, another of my uh, good friends from the same town that I grew up in, he was a bit older than I was. So he, he had some musical knowledge that I hadn't been exposed to, especially since, you know, he had constant Internet. My family wasn't always like cool with the Internet. They were, you know, my dad's like, no, fuck that shit. You're no porn in my house. So like. So, of course, there's, uh, you know, uh, it was even more difficult for me to discover anything on my own. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I just had I had what CDs I had laying around. And it, it, these days you didn't have a cell phone to go and look on. Just an everlasting stream of. Yeah. What the fuck is Spotify? This shit doesn't exist. There are no playlists. You just like you go to a record store every now and you then. Take and you take a chance. Look, yeah. And you're like, this album art looks fucking sick. I bet it sounds good. And then and sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. But um, I spent so much time going through so many different styles before I landed. Um, I wouldn't even say I landed anywhere because I play a, still a variation of styles of, of music. I mean, death metal is kind of like my it's it's my main uh, 
musical vice, I guess you could, I don't know. I love, I love, it was the empowerment from it. And especially coming from the type of shy, like background that I came from, not be, I mean, you know, a lot of frustration. You can imagine that's probably why I got pushed towards the angrier side of music, um, which I'm super happy these days, but I still play really angry music. It's therapeutic. That's why it's amazing. Absolutely. And I did, like I said, my friend from the same town that I grew up in, um, thankfully, had a bit more musical knowledge than I did. So I got it. In, uh, thanks to this guy, I was introduced to like Candlemass and uh, a few other. He was into Doom and stuff, but also a few death metal bands like Vader. Um, I discovered Vader early on, and that was that was the game changer, to be honest with you. Vader was like, this is what I want to fucking do. What are these guys? And then, uh, then I, I saw the, uh, it was like a live in Warsaw DVD that Vader put out a while ago. And seeing Peter, like, and I had no idea he did the vocals and played at the same time. And I was like, what the fuck is this? You know, and that, that set the stage for it, like everything I wanted to do. You know, it took years to develop, of course, cause I was in my like teens and now I'm 35 and just now releasing my first full length album, uh, as of this year, you, you had to you had to um, ferment. If we're going back to the beer <laughs> puns, you're, you were fermenting. You're, 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 you needed to sit around for a bit. Is, was that I was going to ask about discovering your voice, doing vocals and guitar? Did it really stem back to that Vader DVD? Is that what? Did you always want to do harsh vocals and play guitar, or was it out of necessity? A lot of guitarist vocalists I've spoken to over the past uh, times in the podcast, it's been a necessity. They couldn't find a singer, or did it really stem from that Vader DVD? It's kind of it's a bit of both. Um, at the time I didn't, I didn't even think of really doing, but it was more about the guitar playing and the music itself because it, I mean, even at the time it was, it, you know, it blew my mind. I didn't even know, I didn't even know what the techniques he was doing on the guitar, you know, like death metal was still a new thing to me. <laughs> like I didn't tremolo pick. I didn't do all, there's so many things like in death metal that were, I mean, to me that are like so common now that I do all the time. But back then it was like a total, and that was like the biggest upheaval of, wow. Like, you know, when you listen to something new, which is such a, I, I kind of miss that. And I envy people that get to experience that. Cause you know, after, you know, after so many years, it's a and, once in a lifetime thing. Yeah, it is. And after, you know, at, at this point in our lives, like we, you know, especially being musicians, like you, you go out and you discover so much and there's almost nothing new left. There's plenty good left, but the newness is kind of gone. Super you know? rare. And I've said this on the podcast too. I'd love to go back and watch a show without my mind going, how did they do that? What is the production behind that? How are they transporting that? Oh, look, that's connected there. Oh, like I, I can't stop myself from doing that. I would love to go back and just watch a show or listen to music and just experience it. It's so, it's so hard for us as artists. Yeah. I would love to be able to do that every now and then I, you know, you do experience some sort of brief moments like these out of body, like, you know, kind of like, you know, the, the chills kind of thing where the music gets oh, to you sure. and then you get taken right back out of it. Like you start dissecting everything. <laughs> now, why did I get those chills? Oh, it's because they did this and that. And <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> As opposed to just enjoying it. <laughs> totally. totally. But that's, that's the nature of it. This is the story of Whitney Houston. This is the story of Kurt Cobain. Of George Michael, of 
Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died, why they died, and why we're still talking about them so long after. It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel. They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear, the people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments, the ones where you're... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember, the ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon from Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now. Talk to me about 35 years old, first full length, just came out back in May, May 26th via Everlasting Spew, uh, Giorgio and Tito, love you guys, um, at the Eye of Chaos, Olcott's first full length. Uh, talk to me about this. Talk to me about uh, the first thing I want to hit because we have a common thread. I don't know if you know where I'm headed on this. It's a, an amazing Italian painter who uh, loves to not wear shirts when he takes pictures uh, with his album art. Um, of course, I'm talking about Paolo. Talk to me about working with Paolo uh, Girardi. Talk to me about uh, this amazing artist that we both collaborated with. Talk to me about that experience. Let's start with that. Yeah, absolutely. What First of all, what an absolute legend. Like this guy, those... Those Instagram posts are the highlight of my day every time I <laughs> we see them. We were disappointed. Him. He was wearing a shirt when he did ours. <laughs> yeah, no shirt, man of war blaring in the background and just like, you know, I mean, it's so epic. And the guy is an absolute monster painter. Unbelievable. Just just phenomenal. And um, I, you know, I, I had some trouble with art early on because I'm kind of, I'm one of those guys, I'm, I'm like a bit of a, I, I love art. I actually went to art college initially because I wanted to be a commercial artist. Oh. Um, and and music kind of came back and took me out of it. What what did you do? Did you paint? Did you draw? What what, what were you there for? I, I wasn't much of a painter. I, I was I was into drawing sketches and stuff like that. And I kind of wanted to get into the like um, the more computer side of things. And you know, like not total digital art, but I, you know, I, I did at, at, to be honest with you, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I know I loved art and I wanted to see where I could take it. And it turned out that it, it, it just wasn't for me. Um, you know, because I, I went to a commercial art, uh, program and, um, and it was, it was all deadlines and businessy stuff and like doing logos and really, you know, I was like, you know, I want to paint, I want to create like these just like, awesome fucking like scapes and imagery and you know i want to be able to create concept art and and it it just didn't seem like it was in the cards for me so i i kind of i went back into music and um and that was the end of it there you know i mean because there was a time to where i kind of stepped away i didn't play guitar as much um in probably my my late teens uh in those kind of college years i still played you know but i didn't at that time, I didn't have any ambitions to start a band because I had no hopes of starting a band. After being just so long in the t- the small city, not finding like-minded musicians. For sure, because it's a very small town. Like I said, there's nothing around. Even the towns around that town, there were, I mean, there was a Columbia, South Carolina um, was the closest city to me that had a music scene. And I, I remember, you know, in no shade, 
towards any of the guys because it's like whatever. I'm not a, a grudge type guy. But even you know back then when I tried to ne- like network with local musicians, I'd go out to a show. Um, for like, for example, this one metal band, uh, I remember the guys being super sick and I I would try to talk to them and talk music and like, you know, how do you guys get together and stuff? And it seemed like every time I tried to interact back in those days with local musicians, I got like the, this weird cold shoulder kind of thing. You know, it's like a, it's like this weird, like, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like guitar players and musicians are competitive. Like, you know what I mean? Like, do you know, like if you're you're just bros or whatever, but, you know, like you come up and this guy's a guitar player for some reason. A lot of the times, if you're also a guitar player, and you know, I'm not that kind of way. I want to see what you can do. If you're better than me, that's awesome. Show me what you did. I want to learn that. You know, that's how you get better. But it was always this sort of like competitive, like, no, yeah, no, fuck you, man, kind of attitude, you know, and it like that's like a really like old school mentality where where it was like protecting the knowledge i think it's like pre-internet hypothetically too where like this is these are my skills and you won't be able to get them these are my connections whereas nowadays a lot of bands just help each other just oh oh i got this great you know this this new merch company so cool you should have oh here's their contact let me make an intro and this is stuff that i've been doing for for years now with the podcast and that's that's stuff's amazing and that's what we need more of and that you know that's why things are going so much better these days because i have made a great network of of friends i think it's like this whole new mentality of of connectivity oddly enough you know and i i hadn't been to a show around here in a long time and just recently i, I went to one just for the hell of it because i had some friends going and and i uh i went just to kind of ca- and there were some of those same old guys funny enough still just playing the local circuit that i remembered and i went up to one of them and say hey man it's been a long time and he's like he blew me off and walked the fuck away yeah so i was like if you're a listening guy you know what you know what you can do right you can fuck up <laughs> yeah you, yeah totally yeah and that's that's super cool because you know that's and with attitudes like that i feel like that's why if a band ends up just staying in a local circuit that's why mm-hmm. because it's beyond the the technicality and the proficiency of the musician it's their attitude and their vibe exactly Exactly. I totally believe that. And I'm I'm all about um, because I didn't have that, especially growing up. I'm all about helping fellow musicians. Hell yes. Especially younger generations. Us as like older musicians, we should be catering and, and welcoming and, and ushering in the next generation of extreme musicians. Yeah, we should be like fostering that and making them fit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause the, that will, that will be, I mean, regardless of whether we do or not, that is the next generation exactly why not better to impart a little bit to improve it that much more as opposed to like holding on to some kind of greedy like oh my connections my it's my precious it's yeah (laughs) and just sinking with your own ship instead of you know like you know it's it's definitely i think it's it is a dying like mentality though for sure i i've met a lot of great people um scattered all all about i mean definitely scattered is the key word here because i you know i've uh funny i've got more friends in italy than i do in my own local music scene um which is still just a handful of friends so that's if you know that it, that tells you something it's sometimes you really do have to reach really far out there um but it's but it's totally worth it and um one thing i'm trying to do coming to that point is um i really i'm, I'm trying to 
kind of build up my home studio right now with kids and everything. It's it's pretty difficult. So, but at, at a certain point, I, I'm trying to get a bit of a production company started, not for full, like maybe not for full album productions or something like that, but to, but to help, um, to help guys get started to get, you know, help them get, get some demos. Yeah. Help them get demos put together, help produce, help to, um, there's one thing I, I've, I've been able to teach to some of my students, at least some of the older ones is, um, how to write a song, you know, like how to put riffs together in a cohesive way and in a meaningful way to create like a, you know, a, a song that has weight to it, as opposed to just some riffs thrown together, like some riff salad with, you know, um, with a, just a little solo sprinkled on top. <laughs> but, you know, I, it is, it's kind of like, it's a bit of a dream of mine to be able, uh, to provide all that for, you know, for guys, if, if they're already where, I mean, not, maybe not as a huge, you know, I definitely don't want to build like some big studio and produce bands and stuff like that, but I do want to offer some sort of service to like, you know, to help get started, you know, to, to help, you know, produce music early on, help get, get some people on their feet. And I kind of found this through, um, helping a few other people, especially a close friend of mine, um, who has been into guitar his whole life and he's, he's had a rough go of it. And he just really, this guy, he's, he, you know, he, he's had a rough time the last few years. So he, and he, you know, I really kind of, I was like, you need to, you know, play more guitar, man. He lost his father not too long ago. And, and, uh, he's, I've known this guy for a really long time and he, he's a pretty solid guitarist for sure. And he's been wanting, but he's just, he's been run down feeling like he had nothing. He didn't have a home studio, so I invited him over. I sat him down. He showed me some riffs, recorded them all individually, you know, kind of put them together in a cohesive way, worked with them, programmed drums for him and stuff like that, and helped produce a little demo just for the hell of it. I mean, it wasn't, this wasn't like a paid service or anything. It was a friend of mine. And I sat there and I did that. And he was so stoked at how it turned out to hear like his doubled up guitars, you know, like stare sounding nice and beefy like mixed and in and everything with uh with some killer programmed like drums because let's be honest programmed drums sound amazing for writing it's it's the best tool for writing music ever for me like i love real drums i'll never write an album with programmed drums but i'm saying i'm to any future drummers i may work with i'm sorry but writing with easy drummer is so much better than writing with a real drummer. Maybe I haven't met the right drummer. We just got this new guy um, from Lecherous Nocturne who is going to come to Europe on our European tour with us. And uh, and he's absolutely sick. So I'm really looking forward to that. Great guy, great drummer. Um, but yeah, you know, the drummers, it, it, it's, it's, it's hit or miss. And especially if you just want to sit there and create, it's like, man, just... Being able to program drums on the fly is fucking awesome, but that's a totally different thing, anyway. But that's amazing that you did that to to for your friend, though. The the, the power, healing power of music, because a lot of people have tons of riffs, tons of ideas, and they 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 never go anywhere. It just lives exactly. inside their head, and then eventually it peters out and just falls away. So for the, you gave him a beautiful gift that he'll cherish the rest of his life and hypothetically give him that just a little bit of motivation to, to go a little bit further and do something new with this. For sure. Uh, you know, and that's um, just the ability to do that for someone is a great feeling as far, you know, especially coming from someone who loves music as much as I do. 
It's a huge part of my life. There's my family and then there's music right underneath it. Like it's, uh, you know, I mean, of course, family's always going to come first, but like, you know, music is almost a religion. You know, it's like, I, I can't live without it. I, I need it every day. It's, it, it needs to be a part of my life and, and, you know, multiple ways, you know, and, and to be able to, to impart that to someone else and give them a window of opportunity to show them that they can take something from their mind and put it down, hear it in its full form and get to experience that satisfaction of hearing something come together, you know, that they had been envisioning all this time. You know, that's like, I would love to be able to, to do that more. That's good. And it's, it's, it's important for the scene and you're going to foster the scene. People are just going to like flock to you once this is available. So, so I, I, I hope that you do this soon, that your kids give you the time and space and the financial means opens up to make this a reality. I think it's very, very cool. Back to Paolo being an artist, you were mentioning that you were an artist, which is why you have a hard time with art. So, so why Paolo talk to me about this decision of going with him for the cover art for the album? Totally. Um, for one, I was really struggling with art, um, because it, it, you know, they being sort of an art snob, it's like, you know, you, you have this sort of vision for like, you know, you, as you're playing your music, you know, how this goes when you're writing your music, you have these, you have a sort of imagery you know, sort of colors and yeah, colors and ideas, nothing concrete, but you have kind of an idea and, and you, when you see something, you know, if it's going to work or not. And there were, you know, I've, uh, myself and, um, a bass player, Alex have commissioned a few pieces, um, for the album art. Yeah. Well, uh, one for the album art that we didn't use. Um, it just, it, it ended up as great as it was. Let's say it would have fit more of like a um, one of the more tech deathy bands, a little bit more sterile. Our stuff is a bit more raw on the old school death metal side. So I, you know, I I got to thinking. I was like, you know, I really just I want a painter. I want this to be a hand painted real. Yeah, yeah. I want it to be. I want it to feel real. And um, and after some some searching, uh, you know, Everlasting Spew had had a few other things done by by Paolo. Um, and, uh, you know, and I went and I dug through his work and was like, this guy's crazy. Like he's actually crazy and really fucking good painter as well. But he's, <laughs> <laughs> but no, he's, he's such a cool guy. I've talked to him at, like periodically here and there, you know, he sends me random messages and stuff. He's super nice. He's, uh, probably going to come hang out with us when we go to Rome after the tour. We have like a, uh, a day off after the last show. And we're going to hang out in Rome with the Hideous Divinity guys. And uh, Paolo said he might come by. And so that's going to be awesome. You got to have a beer with him and talk and stuff. But his his art just had the vibe that I was looking for. I, I'm I'm really into like darker, lowbrow sort of dark fantasy art and stuff like that. A bit of a, on the surrealist side as well. And Paolo just had that in spades, you know, like he's just got this great style. Um is such a pro, such a pro too. Just so quick. Yeah, the updates. I remember seeing like he sent me a little sketch. Same. And then the next day, not even the next day. It seemed like it was like a half a day. He sent he up, updates with another little picture, and it's like half done. It's it's like this guy is a machine. He just smashed through it. He smashed through the cryptopsy cover in like four days. I want to say. Yeah, you know, I you know, uh, funny enough, 
I remember like uh, after he had done our art, because um, I followed him on Instagram and I, I'd see his little stories and updates. I saw a little sketch he did one time. I saw that too. Yeah. And I'm a, I'm a, I'm a cryptopsy fan, of course. So, uh, you know, and I, I noticed the mascot. The bat, and I was yeah. like, wait, that, that looks familiar. Holy shit. I sent him like sketches of like medieval art that I sort of wanted it to sort of be based upon just out of the park. No, there's no second try. It's just, there's no edits. It's, it's all, it's exactly what he did. It's amazing. Yeah. It's phenomenal. You know, and I, 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 I did give him a bit of a, a guideline, but not really. I mean, I kind of told him colors and the vibe Same, and yeah. the whole vibe of the album. But in the end, what I did, and he really appreciated this, and I can imagine why, too, especially coming from someone who used to be an artist. I told him, I was like, you know, this is kind of what we're looking for, but I'm going to just, here's the the whole album. If you want to listen to it, I would love to just see, when you listen to this album, based on kind of just the little tiny details I gave you, what you come up with. Or I want to see your visual interpretation of what you hear on this album. And just, you have total freedom, just know, like, purple or anything like that you know it's gotta it's like it's gotta you know fit the vibe yeah yeah it's evil colors bro but you know like it's still but he nailed it he fucking he completely nailed it and uh he was um he was super uh super thankful too he was like you know it, it makes such a difference when you have freedom with creative freedom as an artist because it's so much more inspiring you know he was like you know some guys come in here with a laundry list of just like, I want this in the corner here and this guy doing this and this fucking little thing. And it's got to be irritating when you're painting and you're just like, oh, just fuck, whatever. That's what he wants, you know. But um, but I think there's some truth to just, you know, just giving him the basic kind of this, but let, let him go with it and you're going to get the best possible result, you know. He killed it. He killed it for you guys. He kills it for everyone. Uh, talk to me about Hideous Divinity filling in on bass. Um, is it a fill-in thing? Is it like uh, you're a member of the band? Is it a, just a live thing? I had the pleasure of touring with them in 2019 in hell over North America with aborted headlining Cryptopsy, uh, Benighted, and Hideous Divinity. Um, they were awesome. And then I hung out with uh, Enrico when he came through on another tour in Montreal, I can't remember which tour, hypothetically Abysmal Dawn, which is funny because I'm going out on tour with them in September. Um, talk to me about uh, being in Hideous Divinity. It was kind of a random, uh, it's kind of a random thing, um, you know, since you know, I've been friends with Tito for a while and he's uh, he introduced me to Hideous Divinity. Uh, Tito, Tito rules. He's always got the best. He's got the best music recommendations a lot of times. He's just, this guy's all over the place. Tito's awesome. And, but his, yeah, his management is, is phenomenal. He just does great. He's great at what he does. He, he loves music. He truly cares about the artists. It's just the kind of guy that you want on, on your, your side, huh? you know, totally. And he, uh, he hit me up one day and, um, and asked if, just straight up if I'd be interested in uh, filling in on bass for Idiot's Divinity because uh, because they were they were going to need a guy. Um, was that for the hypocr- Hypocrisy Tour? Uh, that was. Yeah, it was. That was exactly the first time I played with them. So it, I, I, I thought about it and I was like, well, I'm not really a bass player, um, but it's challenging music and it's, you know, it's sick. It's absolutely sick. So it, even on bass, it's still 
I mean, it's it's nothing to shake a stick at, you know, I say even on base, but on base, in some ways, it, it, it's even harder at times. Uh, like, for example, you know, Hideous Divinity, they've got these some crazy tracks. One of the tracks in particular, which I actually really enjoyed about it, is it, it kind of singles out the bass. Um, it's uh, this track called uh, Chess Burst. And it, you know, it, there are these pauses and then you hear nothing but bass. So it's like, well, I've got to be fucking on point i've got to be fucking on point to be able to uh to nail these bass tracks and i did but it was it was a great experience and not only that um the guys are just like some of the nicest guys i've met in the entire music industry ever like i mean you know in both enrico's because you've got enrico the singer and and enrico the guitar player true uh and uh they're they're all phenomenal. Julio, the drummer, is an absolute sweetheart. beast and a phenomenal guy. Super sweet dude. Um, unfortunately, I, I wasn't able to meet the bass player. He also seems like a ridiculously nice guy. Who also plays with a boarded, and uh, he's just sick, sick bass player. Stefano, he's the best. Yeah, yeah. Stefano is incredible bass player. Uh, so it was big shoes to fill, you know. Um, so I thought about it. And, uh, you know, I was like, you know what? Fuck yeah. I haven't toured since 2019 before COVID. It's like, you know, I want to get back out, dust off the cobwebs before, you know, Olkoff is finished. Because at that point, the album wasn't out yet. We were still planning things. You know, it was the thing. A lot of stuff with Olkoff was still kind of up in the air. We were working some things out. And so I said, of course, you know, and I went and did it. I'm so glad I did, because like I said, those guys are amazing. It opened up uh, some some pretty great opportunities as well. So I'm pretty sure, thanks to doing that, um, it it probably got the opportunity to go and tour with Evangelic to do the uh, the European tour. Who also seem like super nice guys. Uh, Mario from Evangelic is you know super nice. They're also like great guys, and I'm really looking forward to getting up with those guys. We've got a ten day run across uh across europe a little short run but still like super stoked for it um it'll be my first time playing live over there so i'm really stoked about that it starts in switzerland and uh goes around and then ends off in uh back in italy i believe after you know after going around a bit um there's a pretty all, all the dates and everything are up now um, a few of the events are already listed. So, I mean, it, it's, uh, it's, that's, it's happening. That's exciting. It is. It's exciting. At first it was like, you know, are we going to, how are we going to fucking pull this off? We don't even, you know, we don't have a live drummer or the drummer that recorded, um, on the album, uh, would be Christoph Klingbein. I guess I'm pronouncing that right. The Polish fellow who is absolutely insane on drums he's he's like a George uh, like a young George Coleus or something he's just nasty um and he completely killed it on the album so it set a big bar for a drummer to play that shit with us live um but thankfully the drummer of Lecherous Nocturne he lives just a few hours away um so it, I'm able to go and rehearse with him he's a super nice guy I already you know I just joined that band as vocalist uh not long ago as well um, so it just kind of, it was all serendipitous. It worked out and, uh, he was down just like that. I was like, I was expecting him to be like, I don't know, man. And I was like, man, you want to go uh, on a European tour? 
And he was like, yep. See, all this is like taking chances. Everything I'm hearing is like, you got to take a chance. You took a chance uh, going out of your, your, your comfort zone to, to play bass for Hideous Divinity, filling in Stefano's shoes. He's a very, very, very good bassist. Very well-accomplished bass player. He's very a good. Uh, this drummer from Lecherous Nocturne coming in, filling in these big shoes, smashing it, now going to Europe to perform. It's amazing. Take chances, people. You never know what's going to happen from one decision to the next. So sometimes there's like, you can take bad decisions, but you you learn a lot from that too. But taking chances, if you don't take chances, you'll never see what that deviated path in your life will lead where that deviant path will lead and that was the thing with this it was it was a risk and uh you know uh we were definitely not gonna make any money we're not gonna come home with any profits and uh you know but i'm who knows what you're gonna meet who you're gonna meet what what opportunities you're gonna come into that's exactly it that's exactly it and uh you know and that's that's why I, I just say, you know, it's like, we let's do it. Let's just fucking do it. I was on the fence and then I talked to the guys and I was like, you know what? I'm going to tell you guys right now, we're not going to make a whole lot of anything on this. We may come back even if we're lucky. And it's going to be one of the best things we can do right now, because we're going to show people that not only I mean, even though I mean, because there are, it, it was making me nervous, to be honest, because I, I saw people canceling European tours left and right, you know, a lot. And, you know, it's so I was like, you know, is this something do we need to cancel? And everything? But, you know, I said, fuck it. No, we're going to stick with it. And I feel like that'll garner some appreciation somewhere. You know, like if we go over there, we say, fuck it. We you know, here's our savings. Give us these plane tickets. We're going to come over here. We're going to play some death metal for you. And guaranteed to make at least a handful of who who knows who you're going to see there and then you're going to get invited on some other tour and you're going to get invited to go play hypothetically big festivals next summer you never know for sure and that's and that's the whole thing that's the whole thing is you i mean those kinds of chances as uh worrisome and stressful as they can be are the kind of thing especially in the music world or in any world to be honest with you that you just have to do if you really want to get to the next level of something you know um you could play it safe but you know where are you going to go if you do that you're just going to stay at home watching other people do stuff on youtube while you dream about it exactly i i interviewed carson from the callous dow boys and he said no one with a backup plan makes it um i like making collabs it's something that occupies my brain a lot i've released 60 to 80 of them in the past four or five years with the podcast if you could make a beer for olkoth what 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 beer would that be what style would it be and what would you call it you know that's not something i've thought about actually that's a new that is a new thought so i'd have to uh I would probably want to make a couple, to be honest, because you couldn't just make one. I've got a couple of different beer tastes, so it's like if I just made one, then I'd feel like I was neglecting the other tastes. But <laughs> I would love to make some kind of like, uh, some kind of like dark chocolate porter or something yes. like that. You know, like a really badass dark chocolate porter, and like, um, you know, have no idea what I would call it. I don't know. I I of chaos sounds like a good dark porter. I don't know. Yeah, not, that's not too bad. That's that's not too bad. I could, I could think of maybe a, a, a few other ones. It'd probably be like just song title names or something. Some Actually, I like, guess IPA of Chaos would be 
better, but yeah, IPA of chaos <laughs> at the IPA of chaos. There you go. That's awesome. I have one last question. Classic Vox and Hops wrap up question. Uh, it probably doesn't happen to you very often because you got little kids and you probably don't party like I do. But every once in a while, it happens to everyone. What is your hangover cure? Fuck. Um, my hangover cure. Well, for one, you got to drink another beer. That's the only way. I mean, that a lot of the time, it depends on how bad, you know, sometimes I get, the older I get that, you know, well, the older anyone gets, the hangovers get worse. Of course, you know. It's brutal. Um, <laughs> so, it, it, yeah, and like you said, I don't get the time as much these days. But, uh, you know, like, if I've got another one laying around, like, sip on another beer, just like one or whatever. Like, whatever the, the old saying is, like a little hair of the dog that bit you or whatever <laughs> one and done though from experience you got you got to do one and done because if not it done. just transfers it to the next day and it's worse yeah and then it doubles up and it's, it's like brutal twice the hangover yeah so you, get, you know i've heard like blts and like greasy food and shit mm-hmm. work, but that sounds terrible yeah I mean, it, it works because it makes you more dehydrated because of the salt so see so your body naturally wants to drink more water but um greasy food sops sops it up a little bit I, I've heard that before, yeah. But yeah, these days I tend to just try to play it a bit more safe. Prevention is the only way. It's the only smart, realistic, actual. It's not a cure. It's a preventative tactic. Absolutely. You know, and that, you know the good thing about it is, is the, it's like the kids that keep you in line, right? Because you experience it early on, and there were a few times where I was like, no, I'm still gonna. You know, my kids are asleep. I'm gonna stay up late, have a few drinks few too many, then your kids are up at 6.30 a.m. and you're hungover, like, out of your mind and they're, like, wanting breakfast and you're, like, trying to do everything and stuff. And then you learn very fast, like, not to do that yeah. again. They, they didn't have the beers. You did. They deserve, they deserve a, 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 a fully bright, springy, spring-filled father. Absolutely. Yeah. Breakfast on the table, like ready to go, ready to start the day. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Zach, thank you so, so much for taking the time, hanging out with me, talking about life, music, craft beer. Um, Go check it out, people, at the Eye of Chaos, Oakhoff's newest record came out back in May. Uh, Check it out. Uh, They're going on tour early September in Europe. Uh, There'll be more stuff coming up, I'm sure of that. Uh, Zach, thank you so, so much. This was awesome. Massive cheers. Thanks, Matt. Take care. Cheers. Hey, thank you all so, so much for listening right to the end. You know that I love and appreciate that. Man, this was an awesome conversation. Uh, long overdue, uh, Zach had reached out to me a long time ago to try to get on the podcast, and it just never lined up. I'm super stoked that I did. This was a great conversation. I love that he just never gave up, that he just kept composing until he found the right like-minded people to compose and finally release his first full-length album at the age of 35. I think that's really awesome. A lot of people would give up, but Zach did not do that and I think that's amazing and Olkoth is a killer band and you should most definitely go check it out if you have not yet. I hope that their tour that they're embarking on right now as this episode drops. I hope that it's a huge success, and I hope it was worth all the chances that they took to get there. Massive cheers, Zach. I can't wait to hang out with you again. 
Now, if you enjoyed this Vox and Hops episode, you should sign up to the Vox and Hops Little Podcast mailing list. You can do that on my website, voxandhops.com. That's V-O-X-A-N-D-H-O-P-S.com. When you do that, you shall receive one email a week that will contain all of the details of everything that has happened in the world of the Vox and Hops Little Podcast. You get to see which episodes I have coming up. You will get to see which episodes I dropped recently. You will also get to hear about any projects I have in the works before I announce them to the public. You will also get to see what's up in the world of Cryptopsy, which there is a lot of stuff going on right now. So all of that is up to date all the time. You'll get to see which albums the Vox and Hops album review crew have reviewed recently. And you will get to see which albums Jerry Monk, Vox and Hops' metal architect, has added to the Brutal Awakenings playlist. The best playlist out there, packed with all of the newest, freshest, most extreme music. Jerry is just a beast at selecting these tracks. And trust me, if you are ever looking for any new music to listen to, the Brutal Awakenings playlist will have you covered. There is always a lot of stuff going on in the world of the Vox and Hospital podcast. And I hate when you miss a single thing so please do me a favor and sign up to the mailing list the vox and hospital podcast is brought to you by sound talent media and evergreen podcasts i hope you have a killer rest of the week i will be back next tuesday with a very special episode where i sit down with all of the members of cryptopsy to discuss our brand new record that's dropping as gamora burns it's a killer episode but until then i hope you all remember to enjoy life metal and craft beer cheers vox and hops head <laughs> Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard.